I don't know if we've just got a good thing going on and Tanner picks good songs that match with what I'm doing or if I'm just becoming more adept at kind of picking out lyrics and saying, hey, that matches what we're doing today. But either way, I thought it was kind of cool that we opened up with uh, Let Me Feel You Shine. The, the thought of that is really, I think, related to what we're going to be talking about today. We're in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to finish out the chapter today. We've been going through Hebrews through most of this year. What we usually do is just we go verse by verse as much as possible and try to figure out what does this mean. And we try to sit under this and take it seriously and allow it to define our categories, allow it to define what we think, rather than coming to it and saying, okay, well... This is what I think this means. You may think that this means something else, but this is what I think this means, and, and really I get to define, I get to lord over these verses and, and, and say what they really mean. A lot of other kind of media that we're used to really pushes that, that kind of ambiguity. They revel in that ambiguity, but I don't think that we can do that with the Bible. And, and what we really want to try to do as we read these verses is just look at them for what they are and try to allow... The meaning that's there, the original intent that's there, to speak to us. And that's work sometimes. And, and I think that if you've never read this set of verses before that we're getting ready to read, it might be shocking. Like, I thought that this was a little shocking. Because it shapes you. It's meant to shake you. Um, the, the song that we sang, Let Me Feel You Shine, that's this kind of... This desire to see God, to, to feel something from God. And, and I think this is common to everybody, right? I think that we all feel this way. And I think that you see people in the Old Testament who are like, if you would just pass by, if you would just show me something, please, I need to know that you're there. That is kind of the thought I think that we need to have going into this. When you're hearing or reading or even just thinking about the events of the Bible, do you ever wish that, that you could have been there? That you could have seen those things happen? I feel like we all do. Some of the things we learn about are, in, are incredible, and we particularly gravitate towards those things, right? Some of them were miraculous. We call them miracles. And... Other things, maybe they just seem really hard to understand. So maybe it's because we weren't there and we, and we wish that we could just be there and see those things and, and take part in those. And maybe if we were, maybe we could understand, but seeming that it's so distant, it's like, what, how, what does this mean? What, is this, what does this look like even? I don't, I don't know what this, what this is. And so we struggle to imagine what it might have been like and I've thought this plenty of times. Um, I wish that I could have been there to see creation come into existence. I mean, that's, that's unthinkable on some level, but at the same time, it's like, how cool would it be to, to have been there and to have seen that, even though nobody else really saw it happen except God? How cool would that be to have seen something like that? I wish that I could have been there to see what a perfect world looked like before everything was broken. I wish that I could have seen the ark, you know, like Noah building this ark. Everybody attacks the ridiculousness of this thing. So wouldn't it have been cool to have seen it, to have seen a real 
boat and to see all these animals come from out of nowhere to just join up with them and to get in this boat, God's hand closes the door. Wouldn't it have been cool to see those things? I feel like we all kind of wish we could have seen those things, especially the Exodus, right? I feel like, who doesn't want to see that? Because that might have been the most miraculous single kind of series of events in in all of history. Like, over a course of years, multiple things happened in a kind of concentrated way that just haven't happened again. So I think that you could point to that and say, man, I I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen God speaking to Moses from a burning bush. That, I mean, that's, you know, we start small here. We've seen that. And then from that to the, the miraculous signs that Moses and Aaron were given, right? Where he, his, his hand turned, or his old arm turned to leprosy, put it back. It goes back to normal skin. Aaron throws his staff down. It's a, it turns into a serpent. They pull water out of the Nile and it turns to blood. All of these sorts of things. We would have loved to see those things. We would have loved to have seen the plagues. As awful as they were, there was something big about that, something epic about that. And having seen that and the weight of that would have, would have meant something, I feel like. And, it, and to see that would have, would have just burned that into our hearts and our minds. Blood replacing water, like all the water in the land becoming blood. Giant swarms of pests, darkness infections, death, it doesn't sound all that great, but at the same time, like, God was doing, God was doing amazing things, and God's people were unharmed in all those things. And then it, it just, it just grows, it escalates from there. They, he pulls them out of Egypt, and then they get to this ocean, he splits the ocean, who, who wouldn't want to see something like that happen? And then after, after all of that, they get, a, they get through the, the desert, and he, he, gives, he gives them food out of nowhere. Like out of the sky, food comes raining down on them. And they eat. And then they're like, well, we're thirsty too. We'll go over to this rock. And we're going to make water come out from this rock. And after all those things, though, he saves arguably the best for last. And he says, okay, you've seen my work. But now I am coming to meet you. Meet me at this mountain, and we're going to talk to each other. So they, he says, get dressed, get ready, take a bath, wear something nice, come to this mountain, and we're going to have a conversation. And they, they approach it. And as they get closer and closer, like this, this deep kind of rumbling sound, is present, and it gets louder and louder. And as they get closer and closer, they see that there's this whole mountain. We're covered by mountains, right? Imagine this whole mountain is covered in just this dark smoke. And it said that the smoke went up like a kiln. So imagine like this whole mountain on fire. You could see this for miles and miles and miles. And the sound that just terrifies as they got closer and closer they became more and more scared because of the seriousness of this. And God speaks, and he speaks so loudly that they fear for their lives. That, that kind of experience, I think, is one that we're, we're a little bit desperate for. Like, could we, could we see something like that? Could I, could I get just a hint of that? Even the, I'd be happy with the burning bush. 
I don't need to see like the mountain on fire and God talking. Just send me something. What? Don't you think it would have been great to have been there? I think that everybody can agree. Yeah. To have seen, not just have seen, but to have like heard, to have smelled, and to have felt that. If you had been there, what kind of person do you think that you would be now? If you had seen those things, what kind of person do you think you would be now? How would you be different than what you are now? Do you think that that would change any, any part of your faith? Like, if I had seen that, yeah, I could buy into this. Or, or if I had lived it, Maybe I would feel it a little bit more. Do you think those kinds of thoughts? Do you think that you would believe in these things? Would you have confidence? Boldness? Would you tell other people about it? It's worth asking those kinds of things because I think we like to convince ourselves that were we there, man, how great would that be for us? It's... It's... It's a thing worth thinking. So let's read then. We're in Hebrews 12. And I didn't mention this earlier. We have some extra Bibles in the back. So if you don't have one, you need one. Uh, One of us, if you just want to raise your hand, one of us would be happy to go grab one. I think it's page 652 or something like that. Um, But we're in Hebrews 12, verse 18. My mouth is real dry today. So I'll take a pause. All right, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I... I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal festal gathering, and to the assembly, assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's just stop there for a second. We'll get to the rest here in a second. Okay, I feel like this is like a sermon that just writes itself. Just, do, do you realize what he just said? Do you realize what he just said? He's saying... You haven't, you haven't seen what Moses went through. You didn't feel it. You didn't hear it. You've come to something more serious. You've come to something more glorious. Remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking, again to Jews who make a huge deal, a huge deal out of Moses, who Moses was. 
and what he did and the events that he went through. Moses was like everything. He, I know that Abraham was their you know, ancestral father, but in terms of like the covenant that they lived in, the day in and day out of Judaism, they lived in what, what happened through Moses' life, the, the laws that were written and, and the events that happened to him. So he's, he's telling them this great event that you lift up and you think is amazing is not, it's nothing compared to what you have seen. And this applies to us also. Who is he? He's ta- is he saying like physically we have, we have come into this, this place? Are you saying I've seen something that I can't ever recall seeing? I think that he's talking about just people who have heard the gospel. Just people who, have, who know about Jesus. He's saying that's what you have come to. Do you tremble with fear? Like, I don't know, I don't know what I can say more about that. It's just like a quieting kind of reverence, awe. If you, I think if you, if you feel that, then it ought to shake you. I hope that you feel that. What is he talking about, for those of us who don't know? He's saying, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Okay. So this is kind of a reference. It references a couple different places you could look to Zion, but I think that makes the most sense to go to Psalm 2. Because we've already referenced this idea in Hebrews. If you've been around for a while, it's, it's been a while since we talked about this, but I could just read Psalm 2, and that might be helpful. I'm just going to read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are the, all those who take refuge in him. This is, you might recognize if you've been going through Hebrews with us for a little while, um, when verse 7 has already been used in Hebrews, when he talks about Jesus being, being essentially heir to the throne of God. He's the son of God, and he is 
enthroned with God in heaven, he uses that verse, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That kind of idea. Speaking of Jesus, saying this is Jesus. And the verse prior, which he's referencing now, as for me, I've set my king on Zion. So the idea here is that God has set Jesus. Now that Jesus has come to earth, he lived this life, he suffered, he died. He told us the whole time, I'm doing this for you. He dies. He absorbs the wrath of God for us. He's dead for three days and then he takes his own life up again, signifying that he's beaten death. He's in charge of everything and he is now glorified. He's perfected in front of God. He's at the throne. So that's the idea when he's saying, you have come to Mount Zion. You, at this point in history, we know of Jesus. We know of what he has done. So it's saying that you have come to a point in history where Jesus is actually enthroned in heaven next to God. You haven't seen Mount Zion, but you have heard and seen that Jesus is there now amidst all of these other amazing things. That is what we come to. And we look back and we say, man, wouldn't it have been great to have seen those things? Undoubtedly, they would have looked forward and said, can't we just get to the end where, where this is all taken care of? Well, it's been taken care of in Jesus. So, when we hear the gospel, when we hear about who Jesus is and what he has done, this is who Jesus is now. It's worth, and we've talked about him, being a high priest and being our brother, which is amazing, calling him our, our brother. We're brothers in Christ. And we, we've, we've talked about him suffering hard things. And it's worth thinking about all of those things and realizing that all of those things happened and that all of those things are for our good and, and it's worth thinking about. But if you never see Jesus for who he is, like what he's doing now, then maybe you don't feel the weight of, of who he is because he's not just some dude riding into town on a donkey anymore. He's, he's enthroned next to God with innumerable angels next to him in the presence of God, in the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the saints. He's a judge over everybody. And he speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Kind of an odd thing to say, isn't it? We were told back in Hebrews 11, and I didn't write the exact verse down, but back in Hebrews 11, when we're talking about all these different people um, through history, who had faith in God. It mentions Abel. And it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I feel like that's linking back to the event itself. Abel dies, right? Cain gets so mad at his brother that he kills Abel. And... And what does God say? Your, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You get this concept. Like, though in death, we get this message of what happened. And, and here in Hebrews, 
he's saying that Jesus' blood speaks. We weren't there at the mountain where there was smoke and fire and this thundering noise, God himself. We weren't there to hear the trumpet. But we're here at a point in time now where the blood of Christ speaks. Speaks to us. Says something to us. It says who he was. Why he came here. The fact that he loves you. The fact that he came to die for you. He spilled his blood out for you. And it speaks to us. And it says something to us. And what it says is better than anything that has been said before. Better than what they heard on Mount Zion. Better than what he heard at the burning bush. Better than all those other things. It's better. That's another theme that we've been talking about through Hebrews, right? The fact that Jesus is better. The message that he speaks through his blood, sacrifice, and shed for us is better than all those things. And it's more serious than all those things. And let's just carry on. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, the blood of Christ speaking to us, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yes, yet yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The idea is that he's trying to shake us awake. He's trying to make us realize everything that this is. Remember, he just talked about uh, Esau and his soup before talking about this. What a, what a drastic, it's like, let's talk about Esau for a second, the fact that he ate the soup and got in big trouble. Now God in heaven is speaking to you. Okay? Maybe not the way I would have connected things. Why? What is he talking about? Esau, why did we talk about Esau in the first place? Esau was so focused on the the pleasures of the world. He was so focused on the here and now, both the good things and the bad things, everything that happens here. He put more stock in it to his own detriment because he gave away eternal things for the sake of temporary things. Same idea. Same idea. He's trying to take the people who have their face in a bowl of soup And trying to scare them awake. And trying to say, hey, hey, get your stupid head out of the stupid bowl of soup because it's not worth anything. It's going to kill you. There are more important things to focus on here. I listened to, I got a little help from John Piper. But I love the way that he put this. 
Uh, he, he also contrasts, like we did last week, the promises of God versus the promises of the world. And, and we have, we've talked about for the last couple of weeks this concept that the promises that God offers us are eternal. They're real. But the promises that we have in the world are ultimately lies because anything that is promised here is temporary. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow away. When, when, the, when things get shaken, it's not going to last. And so to put your hope in that is, is futile. There's no, there's no reason to do it because it's all going to go away. And it's all a lie that's going to distract you from truly eternal, important things. John Piper, I like the way he put it. He said, the whole world is cornflakes compared to the promises of God. Because he's, ta- he's talking back about Esau and this soup that he's like selling everything for a soup. And that's the idea that we're selling everything, everything that we have for food, for a nice house, for that job. For that relationship, whatever it is, we're selling our soul for these little dinky things that aren't going to last. So he's saying that he's going to shake things. And the only things that are going to be left are the things that can't be shaken, that can't be removed. So how is it that we go about becoming one of those things? The only way for us is to hold on to those unshakable things. If you're holding on to your status or your wealth or anything, you're going to die. And you're going to lose all those things. And once you die, what did it mean? People may remember you as being a cool guy or a really smart guy. But all those people that you're trying to impress that are in the future are dead too. They're going to die. Everyone is going to lose whatever it is that they held on to that wasn't eternal. So what he's saying is the blood of Christ is speaking to us. Don't refuse it. Take it seriously. See it for what it is. What it's described as here. Who Jesus is. Because if we don't, we can't escape it. We can't escape it. We will be counted with all the temporary things. All the things that could be shaken. And removed. If you already put your faith in Christ... then I think, we ought to, I think we ought to mention that we're not purely motivated by fear. What we're supposed to do is to look at Christ and to realize everything that He is. And He's already been described as someone who loves us and who suffered for us. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. The fact that He came for us and, and He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves and something that we didn't deserve. And, and, and holding on to Christ is not something that we do out of fear. Like, if I don't hold on to you every moment of every day, if I ever slip up, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in danger of falling out and, and, and suffering and dying. If, you, if you've already put your faith in Christ, then, then I think that this kind of picture ought to move us to love Christ 
for who he is and what he's done because we realize everything that he's, everything that he's pur- purchased for us, everything that he's accomplished for us, I think that the, the, the judgment and the fear is meant to shake people who have not put their faith in Christ, who, who are sitting here and who are thinking, maybe someday, or maybe if, maybe if something miraculous happens one day, then I'll believe. Maybe if I, if I could have seen what they had seen, if I knew that this was true, then, then I, I could believe it. But right now, I don't know that I can really believe that. This is meant to shake you to your soul. And I'm not the one doing the shaking. I'm, I'm hoping that the, the Holy Spirit is, is shaking people. And is pulling their head up out of whatever it is you've just buried it into to realize that Jesus came and He suffered and He died having lived a perfect life. And He said, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for sinners. I'm here to seek and to save those who are lost because they're under judgment and they can't, they can't make it better for themselves. We cannot make it better for ourselves. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, you can't achieve the status that Jesus achieved, which is what was expected of us, that we would be perfect. But we blew that a long time ago. Christ came and he died, and he speaks. And the word spoken is more serious than the very, very serious event of Mount Sinai, where the people were so scared that they didn't want to be anywhere near the mountain. And they said, Moses, you go up there, because if we have to listen to this, we're going to die. And, and where God said, if you, if you come close, you are going to die. He did that to shake them, to realize that this is serious. This is serious. You have come from serving dinky little wooden carved idols. And what you have come to today is nothing like that. What you have come to today has power and authority and life. And it's your only means of hope. It's your only means of life. It's your only true promise that you can hold on to. It was meant to shake them, to make them realize they weren't dealing with some dinky pharaoh or, or, or something that was going to pass away, but something that was eternal. So, what we need to see when we look at this is I, you need, you, I feel like you need to read over this some. Spend some time thinking about this. Because it is worthwhile for you to do so. And realize that whatever your depiction of Jesus is, don't miss out on the fact that right now, He's already been glorified. He's already at the right hand of God. He is, it says in verse 23 here, the judge of all. So, when things get shaken in an eternal sense, 
Because it says, and this is a promise, God is going to shake things again. When those things get shaken, Jesus is going to be the one standing there looking at everybody saying, who do I know, essentially? And, and we need to allow this to speak to us. And we don't need to refuse it. I don't know what else I can say. Why don't we all pray for a little bit? I know the response time is for prayer, but why don't we just be quiet for a little bit? And why don't we pray for a second? If you need somebody to pray for you, if you don't feel comfortable praying, or if you don't know how to pray, then ask one of us to come pray for you, and we would be happy to do so. But let's just pray for a second, and, and then we'll have time to respond, and we'll talk a little bit more at that point in time. I'll close this before we, before we sing and, and, and respond, okay? But let's just pray for a minute. Jesus, out of the silence, your blood speaks to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you you would speak to hearts right now. I pray that you would shake us and remove the things that we're holding on to that aren't permanent. Cause our hearts to just fall in love with you and to see that what you've done is is everything. It's everything for us. I feel like several of us 
are just kind of hanging our heads in and temporary things and and we're focused on things that aren't going to sustain us but I pray that you would not let us leave please without causing us to put everything all our stock all of our lives all of our hope in Christ I pray that you would speak directly to us that that message that is better than anyone else's blood, not just Abel, anybody else. And I pray that you'd make it known to us so that we'd understand it, even just a little bit, just enough to know, to know that we know. My words can't change hearts. My words can't change minds. But yours can. Yours does have power. And, and I pray that you would work in this time. Cause us to respond. Whether out of love or shock. Whatever it is that we need, I pray that you'd minister to us right now. And, and cause us to respond accordingly. And in Jesus' name, amen.